Welcome to the Tilted Coaching Podcast and I'm your host, Sheila Walsh. My background is in coaching psychology and organisational consultancy. If it has something to do with people, I'm usually involved and interested, whether it is about personal development, professional development, leadership, relationships, managing or anything else that involves the care of people in some way. A friend of mine encouraged me to do this podcast because he believed that I should bring my insights and my understandings into a really simple bite-sized collection and this is what you have today. I hope you enjoy the Tilted Coaching podcast. Please do rate us if you find it interesting and you can always pop over to our Patreon account to sponsor it. Welcome to the Tilted Coaching Podcast. My name is Sheila Walsh and I'm your host. Today I'm speaking to Stephen about all things personal development slash professional development and everything in between. So Stephen, would you introduce yourself for anybody listening? Hi Sheila, thanks, uh, thanks for talking to me today. Um, so I, um, I've been involved with sales uh, in a number of organizations for the last uh, 10 or 15 years and um, I suppose that as a as a, a career choice, uh, really gives me huge amounts of uh, awareness of people and how uh, they operate within different environments, you know, because we're, we're, it's all about relationships. Um, so I was quite taken with some of the things you're publishing recently on LinkedIn. And um, I just said I'd make contact, have a chat, and maybe share some things around this Johari window that we spoke about briefly and uh, how that impacts people around self-awareness and uh, I suppose no more important than it has ever been now you know I love how you say you you reached out you were dragged into the podcast <laughs> kicking and screaming I'd say <laughs> there was a couple of invites until there was a yes so I, I appreciate you being here um our original conversation was about the Jahari window and um, it was a piece that you had kind of brought into into a, a post that was there. Will you very briefly describe the Jahari window for anyone who doesn't know what that is? Yeah, sure. So part of a college course I did a few years back, um, we looked at uh, the area of self-awareness and the Johari window was a model that was developed um, a few years back um, by, I can't remember the two professors who were involved, but Joe and Harry were basically part of their various names and that's where the, the name came from. So um, it really, it's a quadrant um, with four areas in it and it really looks at things that we may know about ourselves, that others may not know about us, things that we know about ourselves, that others know about us. So it's on that kind of theme. And it's a great exercise really I've found in the past to allow us to understand you know, how do we come across in a given environment? And um, it's really been laid quite bare recently with all of this self-isolation that's been going on with watching the interaction of people online and um, how a lot of these video conferences and things like that have, happen have been happening. Um, there's, uh, the, the dynamic has completely shifted and some people are completely feeling very awkward compared to um, before when they would have been face-to-face -face with people. So uh, the, the model itself is, is great. There's a lot written about it online and I find it really good uh, as a self-reflection piece to, um, to kind of understand a little bit more about how we react or interact with others. You know? Brilliant. And how do you use it as a self-reflection piece? So what is your kind of approach when you're actually trying to use the Jahari window as a kind of structure? How do you personally in engage it? 
I suppose what I, I would engage it quite a lot when we go into sales negotiations, when you're dealing with, um, you know, multi-million euro contracts, there's many, many deals. So a very, very few uh, of the contracts that we would work on these days would be kind of sold individual to individual. Typically you're dealing with groups of stakeholders and understanding how people operate and how you come across in certain environments so if you get very stressed very quickly or if uh, there are certain things that like if you prefer to work one-on-one -on -one with people that you need to approach a negotiation um, by maybe narrowing the the narrowing the way uh, the number of people that you're having to deal with at a given time so the Johari window would allow us to look at um, how do I come across to others and what way do I come across others now to, the model in itself it does need a um, it does need a third party input and probably from a trusted source whereby um, there's, a, there's a part of the, the model that looks at what others know about me that I don't know about myself. Mm. And the only way to understand how you come across or, or you know, from a, from a third party point of view is to ask. And that can be quite a vulnerable position, but um, I, love, I love a lot of what Brenny Brown talks about lately, um, a lot about her vulnerability um, and our, our, our need to be vulnerable with other people is actually in, in society today, maybe seen as being a bit of, um, it's a bit of weakness. Mm. Whereas her, from her perspective, she's promoting it, that it's a real strength that we are able to be vulnerable with others. And I think from a Johari window perspective, to get that, get that self-reflection really working for us. I think it's important that we actually reach out to people who we trust um, and, you know, will give us an objective view as well. You know, yes, you, you, you behave this way in, a certain, in certain situations or no, you need to stop doing X, Y, and Z. And to encourage you in the things that you're doing well. So I found um, 360 degree feedback mm. uh, type um, work is really good. Um, it's something that I've done myself personally and I've tried to work through into some of the teams that I've worked with over the years. It takes people to be at a certain level from the point of view of their, their openness. Um, mm. It's usually done anonymously, but it's a great way of um, actually getting feedback in the, in, in a given environment. It's not a, what's the word? It's not a, a you know, a, 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 an absolute definitive, but it just gives you flavors as to how you might be able to modify or change your own behavior in certain situations to be better, more productive, you know, more rounded individual. So that's really, that's really a kind of a roundabout way of how I, how I try to use that, uh, that model, you know. I love that. I, the 360 is something I would have come across originally in my coaching training where we as coaches were requested to do 360s with our clients. So we had to pick clients. We had to pick, um, I think, staff that we worked with we had to pick people we sure. managed we had to so so there was a really broad piece and the idea was that if we're going to ask people to be open with us and we're going to challenge people to look at themselves and their behavior that we need to be in a position where we can absorb that information without becoming defensive and if we become defensive that we can take ownership of it because we've got to you know have the humility that if we're working with others around these things that we actually are able to hear the same information so that yes, we can hold yeah. the space, you know? Um, mm. And what's really fascinating about the 360, and it's something that I've only developed over the last maybe four or five years, is the awareness that it's not about individual feedback. It's actually about the, the themes that keep coming. So mm. while one person might use the word arrogant, another person might use the word confident, and another person might say cocky, but they might yeah. all be talking about the same thing. And depending on the word you could see it as a negative or a positive but they're actually all talking about the same theme 
Um, yes, and themes, I think, is the key in what you're yeah. talking about there. I think that yeah. that that is, it's 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 like um it's like watching for trends, uh, how 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 things are trending over a given period of time, but it allows you to adjust over a, a period of time as well. It's not to say that something very specific, like if the theme is very specific, that's fine. But like you said, there can be different interpretations on the one data set, so mm. it depends on how you're looking at it. But it does require us to be open, and I think. I think we would naturally be potentially be defensive in a given situation, depending on the culture of what we're used to, what we're used to do working in. And I, I think the that that is the ultimate um, barrier to overcome in in approaching a three sixty degree feedback is is saying to somebody, "Well, look, I'm prepared to be vulnerable with you, and for somebody to acknowledge that." it's actually a privilege for somebody to come to mm. me and say, look, I really need this feedback. I need you to be straight with me about how I operate in a given situation. But ultimately it's about growth and it's about trying to, trying to be better next tomorrow or the next, next week or next month. Um, uh, but I think it's, it's kind of something that you need to be doing in general, quite, a, quite a lot, maybe over a couple of years that you're, because it is designed to grow and, and you'll see what I've seen quite a lot in people as they start to mature into positions or as they start to mature in their experience that, um, redoing those 360 degree feedbacks um are really good because you can actually start to see how things are improving for you or where you're where where you may have a blind spot that you're not aware of that has developed over you know recent years so mm. yeah and, and i think that it's important when we're thinking of 360s just when i think of like the od stuff the or like the or culture mm. the, the impact of these things is i have seen in organizations where 360s delivered only within the organization and so the organizational culture has a preference of something. And so if the yeah. person isn't displaying it, the feedback is constantly that they're not, dis they're not displaying that. So the theme is you're not this. But when we introduce external um, individuals who are involved in the person's life, the, what can often come out of that for better and for worse is the organizational culture doesn't fit the person's ability to perform at their best because what's being asked of them and who they are actually doesn't come together very well, as opposed to it just being absorbed as a change that's required. And, it, and sometimes that's a bit of a tricky conversation because when I get into organizations, I'm going yeah. to help the organization, but then yeah, yeah, the yeah. learning outcome might be that the individual, it isn't in their best interest to develop that, that part of themselves because that's not actually who they are or what they value. Have you, have you seen I anything like that before? I haven't actually, and that's a really interesting angle because I, it's funny, it's probably down to the kind of character that I am. I, I would immediately jump into whatever organizational culture I'm involved with and just try to, you know, fit in as best as possible. Whereas you're quite right that there might be, you, it might be in someone's best interest not to fit in a certain area because it might grate with their own personal values. And, and, I, and I think that's key in, in, in any, in looking at anything here, you can sometimes get feedback from somebody and you might say, you know, well, actually if I change that, it grates with a personal value. If, if I change something about myself, um, that's where the cultural, the cultural kind of uh, contention might happen, you know, but that, that's a really interesting angle. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way, that sometimes it's not, you, while you might get the feedback, it might not be within your own interest to make that change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's good. But before anyone jumps on that and thinks that that's what's happening every time they see feedback, they don't like it's in the minority of experiences, you know, it's in the minority. If somebody's in an organization, it's often because there's enough values aligned that they can function within that culture and perform. But there are mm -hmm. times where I, I'm trying to think of an example, like in certain industry values more so than organizational, but there are some industries that value some things really strongly. 
while a person with a personality of like a disruptor might be constantly being asked to conform and people might be trying to minimize their 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 disruptions they act they actually bring value through their disruption so you know i i think while it's not that in the majority and i think that's important so people don't decide that they're all disruptors and nobody needs to change or develop <laughs> which is like i go to yeah yeah that must be what this is i think that there is something about understanding that there is we need to keep some diversity and because culture will preference some will preference certain values and practices yeah. if we only get feedback within a work context we actually miss the full person and the full person doesn't get like a holistic enough feedback to inform their change they're just and absorbing I, the culture i think as well it's important that when we look at things like the the likes of a joe harry window or 360 degree feedback is that it's it's designed for a positive outcome as well and um, while there might be some negatives in there what i've discovered over the years is that you know like if you put a 360 degree feedback out there you tend to go to five or six people you know people that you get on very well with people that you might not get on so well with your direct managers your work colleagues people who might be um in different parts of the organization and what you start to get feedback on as well is the real is the real positives you know like mm. um you know how, how do you how do you come across in a really positive way that you may not even see yourself like when, when i was in a i was in um a uh a conversation there a couple of months back and somebody described me as an amazing peacekeeper i thought, I thought to myself it was it was it was kind of an unusual thing to say and it was after the conversation i thought to myself i, I went back to the guy and i said well, what did you mean by that you know and he explained two or three scenarios where i'd been able to diffuse a, a given situation and it wasn't even i wasn't even trying to do that it was just something that came naturally in a given scenario mm. and i thought to myself that the just as you were talking there the 360 degree feedback would give you that sort of input as well so it's a positive something that you don't know about yourself that's actually impacting the world positively around you and like even in the world we're living in at the moment you can see such incredible humanity and such mm. an amazing connection with people that that other that people may not have even ever heard of like i think in some of the studies i've done over the years you, you, they talk about this level five leadership and you start to see you know, there, there are incredible qualities in people that will come out in a, in a crisis. Like we, we see the kind of service that we're getting from our healthcare people these days, or, you know, just genuine, genuinely people trying to help each other out in, in, a, in a very difficult situation. And, you know, these, these kind of traits wouldn't ever be seen, you know, if, um, unless the kind of these crises happen, but as well with these kind of models, they can actually bring out, they can, they can make you aware of something that firstly you didn't know about and secondly you can start to build on because it, it comes out it's so natural or it's so something that comes out very naturally to you in a given meeting or in, in a, an interaction with somebody is something that is sitting very aligned with your own personal values and allows you to potentially build a career on that or to change direction or to give you time to reflect on something that's very positive as well so it's, it's important to get the you know when you're when we're describing these models that we're looking at the the balance between the, the negative mm. and the positive you know yeah, and I, I actually love that idea that, that that you could get a piece of information about something that you can build on, and you said build a career on. When I look at the most successful people I've worked with who are happy, so not it's not so like they were they're successful in their career and they're happy in themselves and mm. their career. It usually comes from leaning into something that was very natural to them, but not yeah. but actually leaning into it more and more and and using that that value. And while the people are very different. I've seen that pattern again and again, where they yeah. lean people skills because that's what they value, or they lean into structure because that's what that's what they value, and it comes naturally to them. So, I do think that, like you said, the positive side is really important. 
But if we're building a career on just solving the things that we're not so strong at, and we're not actually leaning into also what we really are naturally strong at, mm. we can find mm. that we're kind of walking uphill. Whereas that kind of positive yes. psychology, strengths-based approach, exactly what you're talking about, building on what we already have naturally that works for the people around us, you know. Um, I think and, in, in, in a, sorry, go ahead. No, go on. Sorry, just thinking in, 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 in a, it's one of the key things I see in, in management that's sometimes missed actually um, is, is when, you, when you're working with a team that you actually, there's a responsibility on you as a manager to actually pick up on those nuances with the, with, of the people within your team to, to allow them to flourish in certain areas and to realize that in some cases you'll have a cohort of people who are absolutely should be in the team, they should be working well in that team and you need to build on what's sitting well with those, their own values. But then you also have a scenario where you may have one or two individuals in a team and you're thinking, you don't fit here, you know? Maybe, maybe you've, you've kind of fallen into this kind of career or you've, you've arrived here through you know, different circumstances that might not have been fully kind of controlled or managed. And maybe you need to consider, you know, taking those really great values that you've got and those really great traits that you've got and, and actually apply them into a different environment because you'll be much happier in that, in that working environment. So it's just, it's just to build on what you were saying there, that it's just something that I've thought about a lot with, with management and leaders that I think it's often missed sometimes in the day-to-day -day busyness of the, of the job. Mm. That we need to be looking at how we can actually help people to grow and develop in their own careers by tuning into what they're really good at or really sits well with them and then, you know, moves them in, 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 in that direction, you know. Mm. I think that that's, that's, that's key there. If a manager is seeing that there's people on the team who aren't fitted, instead of just being frustrated, which is, tends to be what comes out, or, or to just be trying to, you know, square peg, round hole kind of situation, yeah. it's if you can move them on to, if you can support them in moving where they want to go that's better fitted for them, you're going to have a much safer feeling team because they've seen how you behaved with somebody yeah. that was a challenge for you, but you're also going to develop your own skills, which I think is, is really amazing about that interaction is you're going to go beyond what can they give me? And you're going to go into how do I serve them? Not holding back our team, but also not being held back by our team instead of kind of, you know, this kind of blame, like they're not suitable for the team. There's, yes, there's a little yeah, bit of yeah. a reality that yeah. actually the team is holding them back and they're holding the team back. So there's a mutual tension in it. Absolutely, absolutely, and and in we, we, you often see an awful lot online at the moment about talent acquisition and talent retention, and very often you can lose fantastic people out of organisations simply because they were just square peg round hole, you know that kind of scenario. Whereas they actually had a fit in a different part of the organisation and could absolutely flourish. Because ultimately, I think uh, as a manager, you need to get out ahead of that because ultimately people will make that decision themselves because the, 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 the rub will be too great over a period of time. The tension will be too great and mm -hmm. they'll just get tired of it and they'll pack it in. Whereas I think if, if you can get out ahead of that and call it out with somebody early, early on, it means that they then can, they will, they will last longer in an organization and feel more cared for as well, mm. which, you know, which, which is, it's ultimately is to, to their own and the organization's benefit, you know. Mm. And it, it always brings me up to the, the performance management kind of idea, this idea that we can manage someone's performance. And the reality is if the person has the right environment in their role and, and in terms of the, the processes and the structures and the systems in the organization, mm then, then it, it makes more sense then to work on them around their performance. But what we do a lot of the time is we start with the individual and we're, we're kind of with the individual working against the reality of the situation. Yes. 
you know and yeah. and you know often and and i think sometimes middle managers get this the worst they get caught because they know what the bigger picture is or they know elements of it and they're they're here trying to work with people on the ground with the reality knowing that it's an issue but knowing that the only thing they can really support in their very stuck position is actually what the individual does but the truth yeah. is that for real performance management we have to look at what's impacting performance not just presume the individual themselves are the only element in the performance now they're a big a big part of it but there are other elements that need to be concerned you know considered rather than just individual performance management again and again until somebody says you don't need to manage it anymore i'll i'll go to another organization yeah, yeah. this isn't working for me yeah yeah I, I, yeah I, I suppose the 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 um sometimes when we talk about managers and we talk about leadership we, we, the manager is kind of they're, they're operating within very confined bounds sometimes mm. you know of what they can operate and they sometimes see that if somebody's not conforming to the box that they have them sitting in that that's a problem because it doesn't allow them to get the job done whereas from a leadership perspective it's to acknowledge that yes there are parameters there and that person needs to sit within that parameter in that job but if we were to be able to move them to a different part of the organization into something that would suit them better we'll hold on to them longer and that's kind of it's drawing a distinction between the sort of the leadership versus management type type, type mm. approach if that makes sense and, and maybe it does maybe it doesn't no it does There's, there is a massive difference like managers can be managers without leadership skills people can be have strong leadership skills and be leaders in their own right without the title of a manager and so it's very yes. much about how they meet yeah, each other you put it you well know. Yeah, you know, um, sure. so no, I, I think that that's right. But I think that there's that kind of holistic viewpoint because you, you started in the beginning there around vulnerability. You'd said that that mm. importance of vulnerability. And I suppose I'm wondering what's your experience like within organizations where vulnerability has been supported and embraced or also where you've experienced that vulnerability, while it might have been said as OK, was clearly not OK you know it was shown that it wasn't okay do you have a sense I, of that I, either of those I, I think i think there's a lot of organizations actually talk about wanting people to be more open and clear but uh, I, I don't know you see vulnerability it, it actually scares people sometimes you know because they don't know how to deal with it and i i think i think if somebody's being open and honest with you um i, I don't know whether it's an irish thing if it's a cultural thing within the irish themselves but it, it's definitely um there's definitely an unwillingness to that i've seen in, in in organizations to really embrace it there's a lot of talk around it and a lot of mm. a lot of like, you know words around it but is does it actually is it actually supported you know mm. like um I, I would try to encourage it as much as I can. And look, it doesn't have to be in a group organization and you don't, or a group environment and you don't need to be, you know, spilling the beans on every kind of last personal thing that's going on in your life to, to a massive group of people. But I, I think it's to be encouraged. But the only way to encourage, the only way to allow it to happen is both to be vulnerable yourself, but also to ensure that people feel that they've a trusted environment to expose something within and know that it's not going to be used against them or you know and in certain organizations that just that will never fly you know so mm -hmm. i think i think we would aspire to having people to be having people being more vulnerable with each other because it, it, it creates such a connection a personal connection between people but at the same time they need to feel that they're in a trusted environment to allow them to do that you know Hmm. Does that answer the question? Does, that, does, it, it does, does that get to the point? It does. I suppose I think that the the piece around the vulnerability is that while we talk about it, if I said to someone, what are the skills 
of vulnerability? Like, what are the skills that allow you to be vulnerable? Not the moment of vulnerability, because we can all name that. But what are the, mm. the stepping stones? Most people couldn't tell me. And most people that talk about vulnerability that I speak to, like actually a lot of managers and, and people in leadership positions, they say, you yeah. know, more honesty, more transparency, more communication, more connection. And then when I ask, what is it that facilitates that beyond the word safe space? What are the, the practical pieces? There's a clear disconnect. Like in general, there's a clear disconnect where the, the react, so you, you named one of them, there, there can't be a repercussion, right? Mm. But while you say there might not be a repercussion and there might not be a formal repercussion in the organization, are they talking about you at lunch, right? So you can't control the informal kind of, um, lack of psychological safety you, you can't just tell people to be vulnerable because there's a really good reason that we're not it's like defense it's protection there's a good reason yeah. but there are skills where we can create agreements that allow us to behave in a way that is more vulnerable and i i think you named it the only time i've seen true vulnerability come out of a situation that's really locked like really 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 locked has been when somebody demonstrates it so when a manager or a leader, actually in this case, he was definitely in a leadership role, he put his head on the table and he said, that's the reality. And they were like, well, if you're gonna name that, I can back yeah. you up here. Or if you're gonna name that, I'm gonna counter it with my understanding. But until somebody took the risk, and actually until somebody senior, if, I don't know if it would have worked the same if it was somebody at the same level or, or below, but yeah. somebody senior took the risk and they had the most to lose in that room there was a massive change in what, ha what happened in that conversation. But in the beginning of the conversation, we were hoping for the room to open up and share like the, like the transparency about what was happening. But until the person with the most to lose did it, it just wasn't moving. And yeah, I think yeah. we, we often want others to be vulnerable, but we don't necessarily want ourselves to be the ones at risk during that either, even if yeah, we uh... embrace it. For sure. And I don't like it. It's very much in the moment um, in, in a given situation because, you know, like I would always encourage leaders, leadership to be uh, vulnerable with people. But at the same time, you need to garner. What's the word? Maybe uh, you need to make sure that people are feeling, you know, led and confident with you as well. So you have to you have to choose your moments, you know what I mean? Or your your environment as to as to, to 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 when it when it works and when it doesn't work. But like that, I've seen I, I've seen whole negotiations completely change when an individual you know that might have been sort of there there might have been positioning within a given negotiation. Someone were to actually put their hand up and say, "Look, this can't happen, and these are the reasons it can't happen." And when somebody's that open and honest mm -hmm. and straight in a, in, a, in in a conversation like that, it, it 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 actually permits people to be open, honest, and straight. You know that. Um, you know that Marianne Williamson quote that's often attributed to Nelson Mandela? I think it is the, that our fear is not that we are um, weak, but that we are powerful beyond measure. Mm. And it speaks about hiding, hiding, our, um, hiding our light under a bushel. And mm. that when you, when you shine, you give others permission to shine. It speaks directly to that. Mm. Um, I, I think, um, I think it's, it's lacking. Um, but it is, it is a, vulnerability is a very powerful tool and it needs to be used with respect. I think that's mm. probably the message that I would, I would put out there for, for, for leadership, you know, but not to be afraid of it. You know? Yeah. And I think it's a point that Brené Brown made in the book as well. You know, vulnerability isn't about basically verbal vomit. Vulnerability isn't about bleeding out on everyone in the room. 
it's about sharing the thing that you're unsure about sharing, but that is yes. honest and transparent in that moment for the conversation you're having. That doesn't yeah. mean you have to bleed out everywhere. And I think that that can sometimes be the challenge in, the, in, in a workplace as well is there are professional boundaries for very good reasons. Um, Agreed. And we, like, I, we've definitely all seen it. Like I'm sure you've seen where the person comes in and tells you, like they're meant to tell you that they're sick. And then suddenly, you know what temperature their, their son was at five days ago. And, two, and, and it, just, it just goes somewhere else. And you're like, and, and you know about their stool by the end of it. You know, the whole thing just, just escalates. And you're like, you have a sick note, so it's okay. Thank, like, you know, that's, yeah, that's yeah. actually <laughs> fine. You can say that you're shaking or you're struggling. But, but that kind of leaking is where we talk about the story and the situation and the, for want of a better word, the drama as opposed to the mm. impact. And I think vulnerability is about sharing the impact of something on us to open yes. it up as opposed to going down a big story or, or, or sharing details that aren't necessarily going to create connection. They just might be positioning you in victim roles or they might be positioning yes, yeah. you, you know, down a particular pathway as opposed to sharing an experience saying this is challenging for me because or I can't do that because of these restraints you know, there is, there is a, like, we know the difference. We know when somebody has been vulnerable because we feel it versus when they've like, I don't know, let loose in the room or something. And you're just like, what happened here? <laughs> I think, uh, I, I think actually where, where, where you've hit the nail on the head there is the word to feel. Um, I think um, it's, it's one of the things that I've learned around communications over the years. And it's probably what's making this whole environment of working um, remotely a challenge is that, we um, we communicate so much more than just verbally. You know, we communicate at so many different levels, and um, it's that sense or that feeling within a, a given scenario to know this is actually appropriate to share this, or actually mm -hmm. it's not. And this is where probably the, the models we were talking about earlier would really fit well is to understand um, you, that we do communicate. I think I think the I think it's something like. Is it 20% or something of our communication is only verbal and the rest of it's through body language and, and actual sense or feeling within a, within a conversation? There, there's some phenomenal skew. Mm. Like normally people would immediately say, well, it must be 50-50 or it has to be 70% 70, 70 verbal communication. That's how, we, that's how we work. But it's actually not. It's, it's completely the other way. And mm. we, we went through a very interesting uh, training course there recently with uh, the company I work for um, at the minute um, on communicating magnificently. And one of the areas that uh, we, we looked at was the whole area of eye movement and mm. body language, you know, and it was massively insightful. Um, so uh, I, I suppose you, so you don't end up in that kind of verbal vomit scenario where people just start pouring forth on every aspect of it. it, it you have to be very much aware of the environment you're in and when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. But I, I think it needs to be practiced more for sure. And to go back to your ask about companies, I just, I don't genuinely... I try to encourage it myself within within teams, but I don't know that companies themselves are, are you know, it, it's a very deep cultural thing to, to mm. have a, an environment of vulnerability where people people can share openly, but um, be trusting that, you know, as I said, it won't be used against them in the future, you know. Mm. And, and I think it's, it's something that you can build in what I call pockets, because if I do it, if I'm looking at an organization and, and you're, you're looking, you're saying, well, actually what's happening here isn't really working for people you can't just go in and, and like map out what to do with 400 people and like just tell them now yeah, be vulnerable yeah. and we're sorted and um, because you could have a whole list of other actually hr issues come out of that conversation yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
but what what it is is I think it's about getting to the people who already are interested in personal development. So I think that's that's like that's where it's worth starting. Who are the people mm. who would come to talk to you about this on their lunch break? You know, yes. they're the people that you start with. I think because what all it takes is a person to open a pocket of vulnerability and enough pockets of vulnerability and you're going to get networks between groups of people working really well and groups don't have to be teams. So you can actually, it's a, it's based on a dialogical organizational development theory. It's this idea that you do, you light your little fires of what it is you're trying to build. You, you get the people who naturally want to build it and you support Very them good. to learn it. And yeah, then yeah expand and then teams become for want of a better word infiltrated because there might be two people in two different groups practicing this on the one team so now you've got an extra link and it's actually really lovely because what happens is the organization takes so much ownership and when i say the organization i mean the people because that's all an organization yes, is yeah. it's a group of people doing something together the people actually take ownership and it actually works for the organization so it becomes a model of vulnerability that actually fits the day-to-day -day operations as opposed yes. to forcing vulnerability that doesn't fit the reality of the industry or the day-to-day -day operations. But it is slow because you've got to, like, you've got to mature this, this beautiful process, you know? Yes. Um, and I, I think that's the key thing there is that the whole pocket approach is brilliant. I think that's mm -hmm. a fantastic analogy because it's like the, um, it's like the, the, the rotten apple in a barrel that people talk about. If you, too, if you flip it on its head, it actually starts to permeate out into an organization if you get these little pockets actually operating positively like that. Mm. Um, and I, I suppose when we talk about vulnerability, I mentioned it earlier, is that, the, that there is this kind of sense of weakness with it. Mm. But um, the reality of it is, is that the level of strength and, and character that we would find in an organization of that nature, maybe it's slightly idealistic, but I think the, the, the strength that would show to an outer, outside world would be just phenomenal. You know, mm. I haven't seen it a lot in organizations, but it's, it's, um, I'd love to see more of it, you know. Mm. And, I, and I think we have to appreciate where organizations are at because the personal development movement has been happening for quite a long time. You know, I would say from the 60s, right, we've seen a lot more personal development. You could trace a little bit back to the 40s, but personal development, self-help, about the 60s, it started to kind of become sure. more mainstream. So organizations are groups of people. It's going to take a while for it to become mainstream that we value what we value in our personal lives and what we invest in and what we see as helpful as seeing that it will actually directly impact the organization as well so it's almost like sometimes the people are ahead of the 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 organization because people are older and more matured and we we have a process with personal development whereas an organization yeah. is still in their infancy stages even if the organization is there for a long period of time they've been very operational that's standard and and their job is to produce profit. So the focus has been on one thing for such a long time that to open that a little bit more is, is kind of like in the 60s when people were like, one group were free love, the other group were, you know, how unchristian. Of, you know, there was such a, a kind of this sense that it couldn't coexist. You couldn't grow and develop and be free and also be a good whatever it was that you believed in at the time, you know. So I, I kind of see organizations in that a little bit. I'm like, they're mm -hmm. in the beginning of like, this works, but they're also like, we're not fully sure how it works because the proof, we're not 10 years down the road of it working. So we're kind of doing a yeah. little here, a little there, but actually it's the people that are going to sustain these approaches. It, it's, it's not all of the interventions. It's actually the people 
in the organization who see the benefits they keep these things alive like vulnerability yes indeed yes yeah i couldn't agree more yeah yeah yeah, for sure yeah very good yeah okay well i'm gonna ask you Stephen, before we finish because i know you're in sales and i'm gonna be very Mm. presumptuous i'm gonna say when i hear people talk about sales not salespeople. when people talk about salespeople, they um often are adverse and there's research in this it's not just an opinion right there's an adversity to salespeople. so i would love if you would finish this by giving us three things that being in sales has allowed you to understand about human beings or allowed you as a person to grow as a human being because i think that that would just help close the gap that's out there i know on the spot <laughs> on the spot three things that, that i've learned um wow <laughs> I suppose when, when people talk about sales, it, it, they're, they're, there's almost a shutting down. And if I could do away with that word, I would love to, because um, people buy from people. And I know it's the, it's kind of, a, it, it's, it's a little bit, um, what's the word? Um, it's, it's, it's an overused term, you know, that people buy from people, but that's the reality of it. And I often try to, I often try to, just go and have conversations with people to understand what their what their issues are. I think we've come out of an environment years ago where um, the hard sell was what it was all about, and people are worried about being sold to, you know, and and um, people are, are are you know they're they're very defensive because they don't want to be they don't want to be um, forced into something that they don't want to do, you know. And I, I think salespeople are sometimes seen as being um, they're only good if they can manipulate people you know and that 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 for me like i didn't get into sales because i wanted to you know i, I what happened with me was i, I learned I, I started a business in 2005 um and uh best bit of business that the uh, best bit of advice i was ever given was the phone sitting on your desk is not going to ring on its own you need to actually get out there i'd come out of a big corporate giant you know at the time mm. and I, you know i was kind of waiting for all these sales to arrive and i figured i realized that after a time <laughs> you have to go figure this out yourself it's not going to happen on its own so the other thing i suppose um the other thing I suppose from a sales perspective is that people want to buy and people want to sell, you know? Um, so I think it's important that going into any conversation with salespeople is that if you're going into a conversation with a salesperson and you have something to buy, then they're the best people to help you get there. You know, they are the voice of the customer within a given organization. But uh, what I found a lot is that people won't buy our salespeople they don't like, even if the product is absolutely the best thing in the world. Mm. You know, so um, that 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 relationship thing, I suppose, is is is, is fundamental and, and and key to 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 everything. Um, it's not about manipulation either, and and I think. I think I probably went into it originally thinking that you had to manipulate people into be buying the product that you had to sell to them, you know, but mm. the reality of it is, is that if, if people, if, if people have a need, if a customer has a need and your product fits that need, then, you know, there's a deal to be done. And then mm. it's just a matter of agreeing the commercials on that deal and, and, um, uh, and, and, and doing the deal in, in, in the best way possible. You know, I suppose the, the key thing for me as well, maybe another point, I don't know if I'm making these very clear in terms of no, three points, but the, 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 um, the, the one one aspect that I think is very important is that if I'm selling something, you're kind of selling part of yourself as well. You're selling you're selling part of your own credibility into every mm. deal, and you need to have confidence because a buyer will see in a second if you don't have confidence in the, in what you're trying to actually sell somebody. So from a sales perspective, you need to be very confident in the product that you're delivering, and very confident in the team that are behind you in that delivery. Um, 
so I, I think if you if you're if you're making a good connection with a salesperson, um, you you can be you can be guaranteed mostly that the product that they're selling is good and solid, you know, mm. because you'll know in your heart of hearts if it's not a solid product or if there's something that's niggling with you that's not right. And this is like this is down to this is down to self awareness again. If there's something that's not right, then don't buy because it, you know there's something rubbing against your own personal view there that you need to be mindful of. Um, and I suppose the final thing then is is negotiations. Um, one of the things that I've I suppose w- would have seen quite a lot is that, <clears throat> and it's probably more from a salesperson perspective, is that um, n- negotiation. Um, it, you have to go for what the classic win-win scenario that everybody has to win in the deal. And any salesperson coming to you is trying to make a profit. Like, let's just mm-hmm. call it as it is. That, that is the reality of why we are in business. It's about profit. And I've tried to encourage a lot of the guys that work for myself that don't be afraid of that. You know, like that, mm-hmm. that, that is a, that's a real thing. You know, like you, you, we, we don't do this. We don't do sales just for, for the, for the love of it. You know what I mean? There is a, there is businesses to be supported and by making the sales that you're making, you're, supporting other jobs and you're supporting you know the organization around you to continue to flourish and i think when you're going into when you're going into negotiations it's important to um to be aware that you know you never have somebody over a barrel and you know there there is always a win-win position to get to for everybody who's involved in the sale so as in the customer gets what they need and they get the service that they want or the product that they want. And you as a salesperson make the sale that you need to make it at the right level. And, and if I would encourage salespeople in general to walk away from deals that it, it cannot be a sale at all costs. It needs mm. to be a win-win scenario. And that is, that, that is a, a big failing with sales teams. I think sometimes is that they can, they can get into a situation where it's a sale at all costs and it only causes hassle and drama later because ultimately in the sales world, as I said at the outset is that it's very much about relationship and it's key that not, not in a false way because people will spot that a mile off. It's yeah. about being genuine and being real with people and with those relationships, you can get to that win-win position where everybody wins. And, uh, mm. you know, as I said, you make the sale, the person gets the product they need and the service that they want. And, you know, everybody goes home happy. But if you can't get to that position, you have to have the maturity to basically stand back and say, there isn't a deal to be done here. And we'll, we'll let that go, you know? Mm. So I don't know if I've given you a three or just a, a verbal, yeah. verbal vomit there, but hopefully no, I've no, answered no, your question. No. Well, well, you know, what's standing out to me when you're saying it is there's, you know, first of all, that resistance to this idea that it's okay to make a profit. Like people don't in general, actually nobody goes to work just because they love it. While they might love it, they go to work because they're getting paid. So everybody's making a profit when they go to work. Like everybody, not Mm. just salespeople. So Mm. it's really important to think about it, that it's okay for it to be reciprocal. And and even just if we pull it away from the sales for a second and say, actually in personal development, in, in organizational development. It's okay for it to be reciprocal. It's okay that, that you benefit by them doing it, but they benefit by being there. And, and, and to kind of think about that win-win more than just, well, the outcome I want is this. It, it's, we've got to ask ourselves, how does this outcome benefit everybody? Or how does the process benefit everybody so that we have an investment? Yes. You know, no, I love that. And I love the idea of walking away if it's not the right sale, because Ireland is smallest, but like, and even Europe, if you're doing, if you're, European sales, right? It's small. It is really funny what you hear back. You know, you know, it's not that big if you're going around forcing solutions that that aren't the right solution. Mm. Um, and I'm just thinking in my own work, I've had a lot of people who end up see, sitting in front of me 
having gone down a route that wasn't the right solution for them. But it's that idea of hammer and nail, the coach or the therapist and the psychologist is holding a hammer. So it had to be a nail they needed, even yes, though it was really yeah. clear it wasn't a nail they needed. And if mm. somebody had stood back and checked it, they would have known very clearly they, they, this isn't the person to work with right now at this point. Yes. You know? Very much so. I think one of the things around the sale at all costs as well, as I said it earlier, is the, is the maturity to walk away from something because ultimately you'll, you'll, you'll push a bad position with, with, a, with a customer and you won't be thanked for it later. Um, and, I, I've, and it's funny, I contradict myself slightly, but in talking to a lot of the guys that, that I work with at the moment, I'd be saying to them, stop focusing on the profit as well stop focusing on the on, on the commercials on the deal and actually focus on what it is that's good for the customer because in reality when you hit that sweet spot the rest of it just flows the deal the profits the finances the commercials whatever it might be in a given deal will mm. flow um, and and sometimes it's an issue that i have seen with, with, with salespeople along the way is that they're so focused on the margin that they, the rest of it gets lost in the background. And, and that, that message of actually we need to walk away from this deal um, is, look, we, we run a really cool uh, meeting internally at the moment uh, a couple of times a week on, on commercial reviews. And it's specifically to get this, every deal is put up in, with a magnifying glass. And mm. we're, we're having to have mature conversations saying, that's not the right one for us. Let that one slide. Mm. That's not the right one for us. Let that one go. But we'll take these three, you know, and, and, yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a key element, I suppose, in, in, in maturing in the sales space, you know, for me. Yeah, yeah and, and I'm going to finish on saying, I don't think that's a contradiction. I think that's the reality. There, there is no, like, the extremes of not focusing on the, on the profit, profit versus focusing on the profit. There's always, like, both. You, you need to know mm. which one is, is, is important in any given moment. You know, yeah. we, we've got to be careful not to, like, idealize one approach because the reality is that there's room for for all of the approaches at the right time i think it's the match mm. of timing that's important and the reality of the situation okay stephen i'm gonna let you go right. we're gonna leave it on that okay i'm gonna thank okay. you very much and i'm gonna wish you the best of luck thanks so much all Talk right to you soon. take care bye-bye Bye. Thanks for listening to The Tilted Podcast and I'm your host, Sheila Walsh. If you'd like to sponsor The Tilted Coaching Podcast, simply pop over to patreon.com slash tiltedcoaching and sponsor the podcast for as little as a cup of coffee a month. If I didn't say it correctly, pop over to the link in the bio, visit the Patreon page and become a sponsor. Thanks a million.